Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to uh, Monday's edition of Cork Today. Hoping you all had a wonderful, wonderful weekend and that we find you on this Monday morning nice and relaxed. We are getting and hearing about some families who I take it are not feeling very relaxed this morning. There seems to have been an issue or a problem with some school buses in the North Cork area. From what we can gather from calls that we're receiving and seeing some face Facebook posts. It seems to be affecting young people in the Lomberstown Bwing area um, and young people getting to accessing schools in Mallow and accessing schools in Buttevant. Uh, for example, I saw that somebody had posted up that Davis College in Mallow had sent a message out to parents this morning to say that Bus Aaron had informed them that the Boeing Lombardstown bus wouldn't be operating this morning and that one I saw one parent online saying they got that message at about 8.15. But then if you don't live on your phones and you're having a busy morning you mightn't even have checked your phones to have seen the message because I did hear uh, and we are hearing of some parents who turned up to wait for the school bus because not all of the school buses you know go door to door so you're bringing children to the crossroad to meet the bus and then the bus didn't show up and then you don't know what's going on and what do you do and if you need to get to work yourself you have parents very frantically trying to get their children to various schools and of course you can have children going to primary school and children going to secondary school and they can be going to school in different towns bit of a nightmare not the best way to start a Monday morning anyway we have contacted Bus Aaron and we are awaiting a reply because obviously if they sent out the message or the message came out from Davis College this morning and they'd been informed by Bus Aaron, which obviously was the best way for Bus Aaron when they realised they had a problem with some school buses that, you know, it would be impossible for them to individually contact all of the parents. So the best way for them was to contact the schools and then for the schools to try their best to make contact with the uh, parents. But we're trying to now. There's lots of rumours going around as to what is the problem. We're not getting into any of those rumours. We just want to find out what's going on with the school bus and particularly will there be a school bus this afternoon because 
I'm assuming the parents did their best to get all of the par- all the children to school this morning. The other pupils might have necessarily arrived on time, but get them into school is the most important thing. But I think parents now want to know, will there be a school bus service this afternoon? Because th- certainly that message this morning was saying the bus wouldn't operate this morning but will it operate this evening so we'll see what we can find out about that and if any of the parents are listening um, and want to tell us how their Monday morning went this morning we'd love to hear from you 1850-333-103 John Paul uh, taking the calls can I just stay on school buses on a kind of the flip of that and a good news story and my thanks to Senator Tim Lambert for emailing me over the weekend to let me know that the Ballinine and Enniskeen areas have managed to secure a school bus to Bandon. Now this was a big, big campaign that got underway by parents and they had to go into negotiation with the Department of Education and Bus Erin and they were trying to sue, to secure a 52 seater bus which was needed to provide much needed school transport for the area. So the good news is that the funding has been put in place and there is now a bus and I'm assuming from that that every young person in that area that needs a bus from the Ballinine and Eskeen area to get to Bandon will be able to get on that uh, bus. So well done and well done to the parents. There was a lot of hard work that went into that and we have done so many interviews this year with parents trying to negotiate a seat on the school bus for their young sons and daughters. Every year there's a problem with the concessionary tickets. There's never enough concessionary tickets, but nothing on the scale that we saw this year. And I really, really hope that Bus Aram and the Department of Education have learned lessons from this year and that we won't be in the same situation next year or any subsequent years, that they'll get it all sorted out and for once and for all they'll allocate the correct number of buses that are needed for all of the students uh, in the various uh, areas. 1850-333-103 if uh, you want to share your thoughts on school buses uh, this morning. And before we take a look at other issues coming up on the programme this morning, I have had an email in, see if we can help somebody out here. Colleen has contacted us to say... Could you help me please to find my car house slash work slash slash bike keys? I went for a gorgeous walk with my two baby boys on the Lee Fields yesterday morning in glorious sunshine and I lost a big set of keys. Could you please call it out on your radio programme on Monday morning to see if anybody came across them. It was really very busy down there yesterday morning due to the sunny weather the day that was in it. Hopefully somebody or their dog might have come across it. I've already tried the service station across the road Atkins and the Kingsley to see if anybody has dropped it in but all to no avail. So can anybody help us with that were you out yesterday morning and it was yesterday morning was a lovely lovely uh, morning compared to Saturday morning was because I remember actually looking out the window saying God what a difference 24 hours made because it was quite miserable on Saturday morning and then Sunday morning was a lovely day to get out and about and what a great thing to do to get the two baby boys get them into the car bring them out for a long walk lots of exercise and then obviously to get back to the car I'm assuming and to discover that this large bunch of keys had been lost somewhere along the way and there is that sense of panic isn't there when you put your hand into the pocket where you believed the key 
keys were are into the section of the bag where you believed you put the keys to discover boom they're gone and then you know you, you, you're emptying bags and pockets and looking and then you realise yeah I've lost them somewhere and on a long walk along the leaf fields it could have been anywhere so we'll throw that give that out or if you know of anyone who was out and about yesterday morning walking with dogs or out getting a bit of exercise themselves and if they were on the leaf fields could you if you're talking with them later would you just put that out to them and just see did they pick up keys themselves or did they hear of somebody who picked up a large bunch of uh, keys and it would be great it would be absolutely terrific if we had some good news for Colleen uh, today you can text our WhatsApp is to 0862103103. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, um, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be speaking with Minister Jim Daly. And Jim Daly, of course, has responsibility, uh, big portfolio, but he has responsibility for older people. And last week, figures came out on the numbers of older people who are waiting on for home help hours and it has gone to over 7,000 people. Now, this will be broken down between people who are in hospital at the moment. They, they could be some of the ones that are already being deemed suitable for discharge. Nothing else the hospital can do but in order for that person to go home they will need to require some home help hours. They might need help getting out of bed in the morning and then they might need help getting back into bed in the evening or just some general help for them to survive at home on their own. Now I know you've got other people delayed inside in acute hospital beds that are looking for nursing homes but there are also people waiting for for um, home help hours but also the fact that it's over 7,000 people we don't have over 7,000 people in hospital waiting on home help hours so when you dig down through the figures we will have people who have who are at home already and are now deemed that in order for them to live a happy and a comfortable life at home they need home help hours or they may already have some home help hours and they now need additional home help hours and these numbers are rising every time we look at this issue there seems to be bigger number of people waiting for home help the numbers on people in an acute bed who are ready for discharge but can't go home also seem, needs to be seems to be rising all the time and in fairness to the HSE and in fairness to the government over the years, they're putting a lot of money into home care, but it just never seems to be enough. And of course, one of the main problems here, really, we have an ageing population. And, you know, there's something great about an ageing population. It is terrific that we are all living longer and people are looking after themselves and people are taking their health more seriously. And I was hearing at the weekend that if you have turned 50 this year, you more than likely you will live well into your 90s, which is something that previous generations would wouldn't have been able to have said at 50. So people are living longer. But because people are living longer, we have some people as they are ageing, they then become more vulnerable and they do need a little bit of help and a little bit of support. And for the majority of people, and I think I speak for all of us, the majority of us, as we grow older and when you think about growing older and when you think about what life is going to be like in your 70s, 80s and 90s, the majority of us will say, we want to do that, we want to age, but we want to, and we want to live at home and be at home. And if if that means that you get an hour's home help in the morning or an hour in the evening, then so be it. But we need to make that uh, available. But there's never going to be an endless supply of home help. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the solution is. We are on the eve of budget day. Could there be extra money? Will there be extra money given out tomorrow for home care, for home help hours, for additional nursing home? And certainly there are nursing home beds available 
in the private sector. How often have we spoken with Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland who say we have the bed capacity but the money isn't there through fair deal. I mean, do we need to put extra money into fair deal? Do we need to look at fair deal uh, again? You know, what do we need to do? We certainly do need to free up those beds in the acute hospitals because by freeing up those beds then we will get people who are on trolleys. We get them into the beds and get them seen and get them home and we will, you know, get rid of that backlog that's constantly there. I mean, there isn't, certainly isn't a week goes by that you're listening to the news here on C103 where we're not giving out the INMO figures on the number of people that are on trolleys awaiting a bed in a hospital. And of course, that is directly collated to people who are in hospital ready for discharge, have been told they can be discharged, but there's nowhere for them to go. So it's just that endless cycle that just seems to go around and around and around. We have to try to get to the the, the bottom of it. Staying also on a health matter, We're going to hear a call for a birthing centre in West Cork. Again, anybody who is living in the West Cork area when they're giving birth or indeed anywhere in this country, if you ask a pregnant mother, they will tell you they want to give birth as close to home as possible, both for that journey of getting into hospital when they're in labour, but even even in the days, a couple of days after that they spend in hospital for family to come to see them and, and whatever. You don't need people driving huge long distances both to get into hospital to have the baby and then for loved ones to come and see them. Of course, if you're living in West Cork, if you're living right out on any of the peninsulas, you've got a long, long journey. Now, I take it that a lot of the mothers coming up to labour will make some kind of arrangements to get closer to CUMH, which is where they're going to have to give birth. But that's not right and it's not fair that we ask parents and and we ask mums to do that. And what if you've got other children at home? It might always be possible for you to, you know, a week out from the birth, move closer to the hospital. You might be in a position, you might financially be in a position or or from a childcare point of view, be able uh, to do it. You know, how many people give birth or close to giving birth on the road out of West Cork leading up to the city's hospital. There was a time when Bantry had a maternity section and many wonderful, wonderful babies were born in Bantry Hospital. Now parents, now mums have to drive past Bantry Hospital to keep them going into the city to get to Wilton in order to give birth at CUMH. So we're going to look at that issue and talk around the whole issue of a birthing uh, centre and what a birthing centre would mean. And obviously it will be done in, in mind of mums who have a low risk pregnancy obviously if there's any kind of a high risk pregnancy then you need to get to the centre of excellence and the centre of excellence being a CUMH but what about you know the majority of pregnancies are low risk pregnancies and people go on to a very healthy pregnancies happy deliveries and wonderful healthy happy babies at the end of it do they really need to be putting that additional pressure of long journey to get them up to CUMH so I imagine a lot of young mums and young mums-to-be would be agreeing with we need some kind of a birthing centre to be operating in West Cork. We're going to discuss climate change on the programme today and we're going to chat with Alicia O'Sullivan. Alicia O'Sullivan is the West Cork teenager who proudly, very proudly represented Ireland at the recent UN Youth Climate summit that was held in New York. Now, it became quite a famous summit in that there was a wonderful speech delivered by the Swedish teenager, uh, Greta Thunberg. And I think we have, if I can see it on the screen, I think we're hoping to play out, I do, we will play out a little piece from Greta's speech 
the speech that she delivered at that UN climate summit. Well, Alicia O'Sullivan was sitting a couple of rows from the front when that speech was was delivered. So really interested to hear Alicia's thoughts on what it was like to be in the room for that very emotionally charged, very passionate speech from Greta Thunberg. So we'll speak about climate change and climate change from young people's point of view, but it's seen a text in uh, already from a listener to the same Patricia. All this talk about climate change and young people marching and protesting is, according to this texter, only a smoke screen and an excuse to collect tax. The biggest problem young people have will be drugs. Rural Ireland will pay for this charade and then we will have the government in bed with the Greens, says a uh, texter, not happy about all the talk about uh, climate change and I'm assuming when they're saying collecting uh, big taxes because of climate change, that is to do with what we are all expecting is one of the definites tomorrow. We can almost positive, be absolutely positive on this one that there is going to be an increase in carbon tax and that is all to do with uh, climate change. Tomorrow is DJ for Budget 2020. Lots of the newspapers uh, today speculating on what is expected to be in the uh, tomorrow's budget and something actually that we focused on and got a lot of commentary on last uh, week was the news that Older people, old age pensioners may be sidelined for this budget and instead money will go to families who are struggling rather than giving money for pensioners. Some commentators are saying today that the five euro a week extra, which is what I take most old age pensions are expecting uh, tomorrow. That's not going to feature and instead money will go to the families of with children and children at school. The whole idea is that they're going to put measures in place to reduce out-of-pocket expenses for parents. For example, there's talk of free GP care for under eights and also free dental treatment for under six, under sixes. But before parents start to get very excited about that, It's going to be September of next year before that kicks in, September of uh, 2020. Also, the increased subsidies for childcare, they're not expected to come in for well over a year. It'll be November of next year. Now, there is talks of an increase of €1,500 in a tax credit and that would be given to couples where one parent stays at home to look after the uh, children. There'll be €130 million in the package for social welfare. But as I mentioned, it's not going to older people this time around. It looks like it's going to go to low income families. One of the measures being speculated about is low income families with teenagers. They will receive the qualified child allowance, which will be an increase on the current rate of €37 a week. And that, if that goes ahead, that's certainly going to be welcomed by low income families because Whenever we would be discussing low-income families, we would inevitably get calls in from from parents saying that when you are trying to raise teenagers, teenagers cost so much more than, say, a three, four or five-year-old costs and there's never any allowance made for that. So it looks like the government are trying to do something towards those families, low-income families with teenagers. They glad to hear if this goes ahead the the help to buy scheme that's worth about €20,000 for first time buyers that is due to end on the 31st of December this year they're speculating now that they'll extend that for another year but if old age pensioners are overlooked tomorrow and if they're not given 
a five euro a week increase. It will be the first time in three budgets that old age pensioners so for the last three years pensioners have received five euro a week and um, speculation is it won't feature this year. Now what will feature is the living alone allowance of nine euro a week for older people. That will be increased and actually that was something that Sean Moynihan from Alone Remember last week he made that point that when somebody, an older person is living alone, they have, you know, all of the same household bills that they would have had, say, when their partner, their husband or their wife was still alive. And suddenly they're living on, on, their lo- on, on their own. Their income has almost been halved and yet all of those bills still have to be paid. And they, they were putting in a call for the living alone allowance, which isn't a huge amount of money, even at the moment. It is only an extra nine euro a week, but there's talks of that being uh, increased. So we'll wait to see, uh, does that materialise? Christmas bonus to all social welfare recipients. That's that's the double payment in December. It looks like that's going to go ahead this year because during the bust, that was one of the things that stopped and there was no Christmas uh, bonus. There'll also be an increase in the weekly fuel allowance. That obviously is going to counterbalance carbon tax because carbon tax very much features in tomorrow's uh, budget. The fuel allowance is likely, again this is all speculation, is likely to be topped up by €2 per week. Bit all up in the air though because uh, there's still a lot of discussions going on with uh, carbon tax. So a quick look down on some of what's likely. Prescription charges for over 70s, there's talks that that would be reduced that's been coming down over the last number of years in fairness another 50 cent off that which would bring it down to a euro per uh, item they're also talking about a cap on the drug payment scheme again they've reduced that over the last couple of years they're speculating down by another tenner which would make it 114 euro a month which is what a family would have to, would be the cap that they would spend on uh, drugs I mentioned the free GPs for under eights and the free dental care for under uh, sixes what else has been speculated? The carbon tax, so much talk about carbon tax, anything between six euro per tonne and eight euro per tonne uh, is what is what we are expecting, but we're going to have to wait on that one. Excise duty on the price of a packet of cigarettes, well that's inevitable that's going to go up and 50 cent it seems to always be 50 cent they're saying that's what that's going to be again. And alcohol, that will remain unchanged, but I would suggest because of the carbon tax fill up your car with uh, petrol today or tomorrow because we do know that all of those increases, the carbon tax, the excess duty on the cigarettes, they will come in from midnight tomorrow night. As I say, it's just all speculation at this stage uh, and it will be even this time tomorrow we'll still be speculating because it'll be tomorrow afternoon before we finally get to hear what's going to be in Budget 2020 but I think because Brexit is still all up in the air it is going to be a rather cautious budget it certainly isn't going to be a giveaway budget and with what's expected to be a general election next year you would have thought that this would be a giveaway budget but I think because of Brexit they do have to be a little bit careful Your thoughts welcome 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Laura Gelga RC 103 Rugged Jacob Stockdale Ern True Law Debron Nadig Nokashe in Ardvaka Husik Jig Imer to Rugger Agase Anna O Nina Agus Hussig Sheig Imrit Le Kuga Ola Agus Eifos Navelina Deg Beach. Tugug on Lassanum Stocky Jockey Air, Tisk Eve Kohard Agus Kolordershin.
Bernique A. Er Fanil Naharan, to Hrossar Govil Sashakti, August Anamnik A. Mar Lake Nahimraha in Aigon, Argentine. Toshakt Ud Aimshaha, a Jacob Stockdale, a Gravena Shainashun Govilas Uktig, Gashka, a Nakhvil Dainteg, Ain Imra or Ella, a Sterna Grava. Is Imhor Untuk A. August Inspiro de Guina Oga A. Le Blur Guelga is Misha Malini Gul o Guelskol Hamasta Vishmala. CKD as a three Kirkig. When recently addressing a home and community care conference, the Minister of Responsibility for Older People, Jim Daly, says he feels ashamed at the waiting list for home help hours. Minister Jim Daly uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning. Uh, and firstly, can I say you're you're actually in Clon Hospital getting your flu jab today? I am indeed, yeah. I'm up in the hospital. Um, I had a meeting here with some of the friends at the hospital first this morning and I'm also getting the flu vaccine in an effort, I suppose, to promote take-up of the vaccine among particularly care staff who uh, interact with the elderly people to highlight the importance of people getting the vaccine so that they don't transmit the flu to, to vulnerable people. And I know we always look to countries like Australia because obviously they've come out of their winter and that's where the flu starts and there's a particularly nasty strain seemingly doing the rounds this year. There is. It's, it's, um, it's it doesn't look good from that point of view, so I, I think it, you know, it really is important not just for uh, vulnerable people themselves to take the flu jab, but for people who, as I say, interact with older people as well, because you can eliminate a lot of the flu, and flu literally kills people. It kills older people who are vulnerable. So, you know, we can never stop stressing the importance of uh, people who work in any shape or form with older people, even family members. You know, if you're in a school and things like that, bringing the flu home to older people, it is very, very well worthwhile getting the flu jab, and you can get it from your chemist or your GP. Yeah, well said. Was well said, and you know, uh, as I say, it is. It's to protect older people. And while you know, if you're young, fit, and healthy, you'll get flu, and it'll be a nasty few days of feeling unwell. But you know, you would hate to think that you'd pass it on to somebody very vulnerable whose who's life life could then be lost because of it. Okay, going back to home health hours. When you took up the this portfolio with responsibility for older people, Jim, did you ever think you would see over seven thousand people on a waiting list for a home care support? Um, I would have hoped not, but I, I think they were there at the time as well. The reality of it is um, it's a scheme that's demand-led. Uh, there are many more older people now continuing to live longer and healthier lives and independent lives at home. And the demand has just, you know, plummeted, not plummeted, sorry, but soared, soared for home help uh, over the last, I suppose, since it's been introduced, really. And what the government has been doing in the past is putting more money into it every year. It has gone from 300 million up to 450 million, which is a, you know, a, a fairly significant increase, to be fair. We have to be conscious that that's, you know, people's money, taxpayers' money. It's the money that you and everybody else contributes for the shout at our pay every week. So we have to be responsible to it. But And we have done the very best of putting more money into it. But I don't think we can continue to do what we're doing just by putting more money into it all the time. It's not delivering it's not meeting the demand and that there's as you said almost 7,000 people still waiting for it now what I will stress as well to be fair to the system is those are most in need are prioritised and you know those least in need will be left waiting the longest but as the demand gets particularly acute then you can see some very very you know, I suppose all cases have a level of genuine or are genuine to a degree, but some are more more pressing and more needy. And what you see is the longer the waiting list is, you see people then that are really, really in the need of, of home care being denied it. And that's where I was referring to the conference where I am genuinely embarrassed to be the Minister for Older People to meet, you know, some people on the streets here in, in West Cork who tell me that they're looking after their elderly mum, they're flat out, maybe looking after mum-in-law. 
as well and trying to do the very best they can and they're getting a letter from the HFE to say yeah you do need home help but you're on a list uh, you add you know you're added to a list of thousands of other people while you wait for it so uh, what, and what difference do you believe the planned statutory state home care scheme will have yeah, the statutory home care scheme, I mean, obviously we're in negotiations for the budget at the moment um, and part of that is to see can we fund the pilot next year because I want this to be brought in and I want it to become a reality. Talking about it is, is one thing. Uh, the statutory home care scheme is effectively a fair deal scheme for um, the same as fair deal for home help, which means that those who need home help will get home help by statute. In other words, you're, you're entitled to it under the law of the land. Uh, and to do that, we obviously have to provide a fairly significant budget to meet demand. But we also, which is a bigger challenge have to provide the necessary infrastructure which is to have a proper IT system the length of breadth of the country that would manage it we need to have a system that doesn't have somebody doing an hour in the morning and an hour from four to five in the evening and that's their day's work you need to be able to give people you know a full proper full day's work at it so it needs to be organized and managed and delivered in a much more uh, effective manner and to make it sustainable so that people will find this an attractive care choice or a career choice as opposed to, at the moment, you know, people are literally going north for seven miles and delivering a 20-minute or a half-a-minute or 40-minute service and travelling maybe another four miles west and another half-hour service two hours later. You know, it's it's very ad hoc and it's very... Um, and unfair. And very unfair. I mean, it is definitely around the postcode. Some areas have very, very small waiting lists. Some areas have huge waiting lists. The biggest disparity you find when you look at the different waiting lists is not that the demand is particularly higher in some areas more than others. It's actually the availability of staff to deliver. And that, again, goes back to the conditions for staff and to make it an attractive and, uh, you know, a viable career choice. So we have a fairly significant challenge to bring about a scheme that is fit for purpose that will actually ensure that we have the availability of the adequate number of staff to deliver it. And we'll also make sure that it's fully funded by the state and that it's uh, guaranteed by statute. And what I have committed to do when I took up the job as Minister was to introduce this scheme. I began with a public consultation to hear the views of people and to get on board what people felt that they would like to see in a scheme like this. And we got a huge take-up of responses to that consultation. I got some academic bodies to look at that for me and to distill it down with my department officials. What I've done then is I spent a lot of time looking at schemes across different countries and the various ways that they, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Many countries are doing this much more successfully than ourselves so we have looked at a lot of the international uh, I suppose expertise available to us and what I will be doing in January is um, I suppose outlining the questions that you would like to ask me now what shape will it take what way will it look how will it play out in full Uh, I will do that in January we'll announce that and unveil it and we will also roll out a pilot I'm very hopeful that I get funding in tomorrow's budget to roll out a pilot uh, scheme under the statutory home care scheme which will essentially mean that uh, if you're looking for home care or home help that you'll be guaranteed it by, by law. Because with an ageing population Jim, this problem is only, only going to get worse. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, the, the time is now for this. It really, really is is pressing to get this done and to get it over the line because I've always said about nursing homes, are, you know, they're fine and they do a very, very good job, but the reality is more and more people should be allowed to remain independent in their own home with the dignity of their own front door. And if we're serious about that as a society, well, then we have to, you know, not just put the money to it, which money is one part of it, and I'm confident we can do that side of it, but also make sure that we have the, the personnel. And look, many of these 
challenges were encountered when we tried to, when Mary Harney brought in the Fair Deal scheme, which was effectively providing nursing home places for everybody guaranteed by statute, so that uh, you know, irrespective of who you are or where you're from or where you live, that if you need nursing home care, that the state will guarantee that you will get it and get the funding towards it. And there were many challenges that time about you know people said you sure you won't have the capacity, you won't have enough nursing home beds, and you know there are challenges of course, but as I would make the point, there's always more reasons to do it than more reasons not to do it. And uh, if we are true to our word, which I believe we can be as a society, and that is to support people to continue to live independent lives in their own home for as long as possible, then we need to have a home help scheme that is fit for purpose and that is guaranteed by statute. The current one isn't either. Uh, But figures last week on the number of delayed discharges, was it 745 uh, patients? I mean, that's surely a real concern for you as as we head into the height of the winter months. It is. And look, we, we went through a very rough patch there kind of in late August, mid-August with the waiting time for nursing home a fair deal scheme. Uh, it, we have a commitment in the programme for government to keep it under four weeks. It's drifted out to six, seven and eight weeks and that puts huge pressure. Transitional care beds, there was also I suppose, a running out of money there for a period in the month of August on transitional care beds and that put a lot of pressure on the system. And now there was an injection of money went in again on the 9th of September which has brought that all of clear to those backlogs and that is working its way through the system at the moment so that's why you see those stark increases in uh, in delayed discharges at the moment or what we call now delayed transfer of care but this would be a very important component of delayed transfer of care and if you talk to any hospital manager uh, it is about a more efficient system one of the, the big weaknesses in the current home care system is that we don't have the availability of data we don't have an IT system that is capturing all the data of how many people need it where it's needed uh, it also isn't um, I believe anecdotally you'll hear of some people who have the the service who may not absolutely need it you know i'm not saying that's widespread or rampant or anything like that but if you have a full it system to see where every hour of home help is being delivered and where it's needed and where it's needed most you need to have the full picture to do that and at the moment we don't have that and we will have that as part of the statutory home care scheme a proper it system as well to manage the delivery of the service and to make sure that those who need it most are getting it first and foremost and that is you know in some cases obviously the the need for the service can disappear for a variety of reasons. You know, sometimes people can make a very good recovery and rehabilitative care can work very, very well. And thankfully, and um, people are recovering and may not be as dependent on a service like home care. At the moment, I'm not certain that we're we're absolutely maximising all of those aspects of it. Do we also, though, um, you, you know, with a need for rising uh, home care, do we need to be training more people to provide this home care going forward? Yeah, training will be a part of it um, and a very important part of it. Uh, and we also need to kind of distill down exactly what do we mean by home care? So do, is it a situation where somebody who needs, you know, they can't clean out their fire because they're, you know, stooping down is, is a difficulty, which it is for many of us as we get older. Uh, you know, what exactly is home care? Is it personalised care, which we have moved more and more towards, uh, which is personal care needs? Is it doing the shopping? Is it providing company to people? We have to be very clear of what the service is going to entail, and that's what I will be confirming in January of how we how we view that service. So the training then is a part of that. And, of course, what will come in as well is regulation, where we have to ensure if the state is paying for the service to be provided to the citizens of the state, well, then the state also has a responsibility to make sure that the people delivering the service are of a standard, of a quality, um, of a you know a personality and all of that suitable to it. Um, again, we don't want to have a situation where we have a body like HICWA going into people's private homes 
checking up on, on the service delivery, so we have to get that balance right of how we can regulate this service as well. But I'm very confident we have a lot, a lot of work going on behind the scenes um, and have continued in that vein, and I'm very confident that by early next year I will be in a position to give people a fairly detailed view of what I'll be proposing to introduce and that I will also put flesh on the bone by running a pilot next year as well in one probably one area of the country. And co- confidence of, of extra funding in tomorrow's budget? Uh, hopefully so. I can't give the budget details as you can appreciate, but I'd be confident that there will be extra funding um, for home care tomorrow. Um, but look, that's going to be up to the Minister for Finance to announce that tomorrow. Um, indeed, I was uh, negotiations were continuing early this morning by phone. I was on the phone for an hour this morning before I left home. Um, and there was negotiations are continuing throughout the day, so this is right up to the to the last minute before it'll be finalised. Okay. And before we let you go, I was actually on holidays when you made your announcement that you're stepping down from politics at the next uh, general election. Um, what has the reaction, Jim, been since you made that announcement? Um, it's been surprising on a number of fronts. Um, first of all, people have been, you know, overwhelmingly endorsing what I'm doing which is surprising they're saying you know you're doing the right thing you're putting your family first you know that's something you won't regret down the line people have been very nice obviously you know to say we'll we'll miss you and so on but look nobody is under any illusion that any of us are irreplaceable or anything like that um I found my clinics last Friday were the busiest clinics I've ever had it isn't like uh, somebody was asking me is everybody leaving you alone now that you've said you're kind of retiring after next election and I was making the point that my clinics last Friday were, were exceptionally busy so you know it's interesting how people react um I was afraid that people might start disengaging and saying sure he has no more interest he's not fighting next election whereas I'm the complete opposite I'm very very committed and motivated and genuinely want to do everything I can do for the last six or eight months or however long we're there before the next election I want to give it my all and, and give it the very very best and I'm delighted to see people are you know, continue to engage with me on that level. So people's reactions have been probably the biggest thing is, is the universality of it. And what I mean by that is that everybody, you know, I got hundreds of texts the following day and they were probably 99.9% of them all saying the same thing. You're making the right decision. It's a big, courageous move. Well done on making such a courageous move, but you won't regret it. Have other politicians come out privately? And yeah. Said, and said to you, you know, it's because it's very brave what, what you're doing, but you're not alone. There, there's, there are many, many other politicians who are probably looking at you saying, you know, Jim's doing the right thing. I've missed all of my children growing up because of this job. Yeah, there is no doubt about it that the strongest reaction I got was from colleagues, which I didn't expect or anticipate. And I think on two fronts, I think colleagues understand more than anybody else what I'm walking away from. You know, it isn't just it's a 130,000 year job, which is a a phenomenal salary and all of that, but it isn't just that side of it. They see so much more to it and they're saying, my God, Jim is willing to walk away from all of that, you know, to this constant, you know, whatever we we as politicians love about that job because you wouldn't do it unless you loved it. There's no way you'd do it Mm -hmm. as a normal job. And I think I've heard you say that more more than one occasion. Many, many, many times. In fairness, you have. So, you know, they have really got that side of it. And at the same time, then they understand that they would all have said to me. uh, And I I found it extraordinary, the amount of them from from all political parties who took their time out, you know, took time to make sure and reach out to me and just say, wow, that was a really, really great decision. But I genuinely know what you feel about family, you know. And I spoke to one of my colleagues last Tuesday on the phone and he was saying, yeah, you know, I'm on a part of a four-hour journey down. I'm thinking of you and what you said. And so, look, it does give people, of course, pause for thought. But, you know, I'd make the point that for me it was a very, very personal decision. I would go so far as saying it was more of a, a selfish decision because my children don't want for anything 
thank God, and are you know looked after very very well. So it's only a case of it's I want to be a part of it. You know they don't they're not going to be at a disadvantage by me being pulled and dragged all over the place. I don't see them being at any huge disadvantage, but I see myself you know and it's a personal decision that I've made that I've chose that there are only ten more years in rearing children. After that, they'll they'll do for themselves, and I have chosen to be part of that or more actively involved in that for right or for wrong. I don't know. And career-wise, what will you do, Jim? I mean, you had been a teacher, but you gave up that position, which was honourable of you as well, because you could have held that position and just slotted back into it. Mm-hmm. Is it teaching you'll go back to? No, I don't imagine I'd go back to teaching, uh, Patricia. It wouldn't, um, you know, it's not really on my radar. But hand on my heart, and I have to tell this to everybody, I genuinely have no idea what I will be doing this time, 12 months. My plan is, obviously, to give everything that I have to the ministry and to being a TD for the next six or eight months, if the all lasts that long, which it looks possibly likely to do, next May or June being the election, um, if that's the case. Uh, after that, I probably will take a few months off. I'd like to do just a bit of normal stuff, like the school runs or whatever. I have no yeah. doubt, me being me, I'll get bored of that very, very, very quickly. But I'm looking forward to doing that for a while. And after that, it's a case of, I suppose I'm open to offers. I really don't know what I'll be doing, Patricia. Uh, Watch this space. Watch this space. We'll talk again, Jim. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, That is the junior minister with responsibility for uh, older people and mental health, uh, Jim Daly. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Bus Air, and by the way, have been back to us. Uh, this is when we got when we came in this morning. We were contacted by some families. The school bus failed to show in a couple of areas in North Cork. So we got onto Bus Air and immediately, and they say that they are aware that due to operational reasons. Two buses failed to operate this morning. These vehicles, operated by a private contractor, were due to serve schools in the Mallow and Butterfant area. Now, Bus Aaron say all services are expected to operate this afternoon and they've regretted any inconvenience caused this morning and that will come as some good news to the parents because some of the parents we were contacting managed to get their children to school this morning but were worried about this afternoon. Uh, it's okay if you're not a working parent and you're able to get in and pick up your children but not everyone is in the position uh, to do it. So Bus Aaron are expecting all uh, services to operate this afternoon but that's as far as they got they just say due to operational issues they're not getting into the whys and the wherefores as that those buses didn't run this morning but glad to pass that on to the parents listening who are worried about the school run this afternoon you should be okay. Now I mentioned a couple of the suggestions and things that have been mentioned as possibilities in tomorrow's budget. We get it. It is very rare, I think, now that a budget happens where we don't know nearly everything that gets announced. There was a time many years ago when budgets came as a great big surprise. There was ooing and aahing when the minister would get up to make his speech. Now they leak out everything in advance. And I'm assuming the reason for it is there's no big surprise then on the day. There's going to be nobody out protesting or giving giving out. All the giving out has been done well in, in advance and I'm assuming that's the reason. The one though I'm most scratching my head on and we're going to have to wait to see if it is going to 
to happen is the fact that pensioners for the first time in three budgets are not going to feature this year in that pensioners are not going to receive an extra five euro a week. Now I'm assuming if pensioners aren't to get an increase that nobody under the uh, all of the other payments under the Department of Social Protection like disability allowance unemployment benefit widow's pensions I'm assuming no one is getting an increase except for the smaller detailed things that we've heard like the living alone allowance is going to uh, go up but the Christmas bonus uh, will be there but we will wait and see what happens with the because governments have a tendency not to want to rock the grey vote as it's known we do know the time when they tried to take the medical card away or tried to means test the medical card for over 70s. We know what happened there and we know that the government learned a very valuable lesson. Do not take on uh, the older people. They got out in their huge numbers to protest. And of course, politicians are very aware that older voters are the ones that do go out and vote. The younger voters have a tendency, the younger people have a tendency not to be as interested in voting as older people. Older people will never miss a vote. So politicians are aware of that as well. So we will wait and see what happens with the pensioners one. It's the one that I'm still thinking, mm, I don't know, but maybe maybe they'll come out and say, look, we simply don't have the money because of Brexit. I think a lot of the references that are going to be made to tomorrow's budget is going to be linked to Brexit and we don't know what's happening with Brexit so therefore we have to be cautious and a lot of people will say that's the right way to go. We don't need a giveaway budget and then God forbid if there's a crash out Brexit and then of course we know we're going to get the fallback from it and if we've had this big giveaway budget nobody's going to gain uh, from that so hopefully they're boxing clever and they're coming at this budget in a sensible light even though everybody wants to try and get their bit out of the budget tomorrow. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in. Pat says, Hi Patricia, tomorrow should be called Robber's Day. Ooh, not happy with what's been mentioned so far in the budget. And then a different Pat says, Morning Patricia, Fina Gale helped by Fina Fall voted in a big pay rise for themselves as politicians a few weeks ago on top of their huge salary and they don't have any money for the people. Well the people who voted for them deserve this but the rest of us don't says Pat who obviously didn't vote for Fianna Fáil or for Fianna Gael. And then an astute listener D in Goleen when I was calling out the various things that are expected to go up and come down for example excise duty on cigarettes expected to go up by uh, 50 cents they're going to leave the alcohol alone and certainly carbon tax is going to rise which is going to mean that the price of a litre of petrol and diesel is going to rise and I was making flippantly making the point if you need to fill up your car do it before midnight tomorrow night because it's expected that once the announcement goes in the petrol and diesel the increase carbon tax increase will go up from uh, midnight tomorrow night and then I was talking about some of the things that they're hoping to do for families and in particular for families with uh, young children you know there's there's uh, talks of free GPs for the under eights and free dental for under six under sixes But none of those are going to come in. You're going to have a bit of a wait if you do have young uh, children. Uh, For example, they're talking about the free GP care for under eights would be September of next year. It'll get announced in October, it'll be September of next year. And the free dental care for under sixes, that's going to be next year as well. And the other one was 
the help for with childcare and that's not expected to be introduced until well into that subsidy. It's going to be very late next year, possibly November. This is the increased subsidies uh, for childcare. So Dean Goleen was listening to that and said, have you noticed a trend there, Patricia, in what you've just read out? The government taking money? They almost do that immediately. Excise duty, it'll go up from midnight. Carbon tax, it'll go up from midnight. But then when they're giving something back to the people, all of the people have to wait. But the TD's got to pay rise and the rest of us have to fork out for it. And that comes in from D in uh, Goline. And again, that's always the way it has been with uh, budgets, but it seems to be getting more pronounced and the giving out of it, the giving back, where the government is saying we're going to give something to the people, that seems to be moving further and further uh, away. Because there was a time when there was social welfare increases. Usually it was within months of the budget being announced. It was never instantly, but usually it was within months the increases would be brought in. For, but for the last number of years, we've had budgets in October. And any increases like that five euro to the old age pensioners that they might be getting and might get announced tomorrow, and the five euro that they gave to other people living on social welfare, that increase did not materialise until close to St. Patrick's Day. So it was nearly, you know, around the middle, mid to end of March, even though it got announced in October. And yet anything they put up went up immediately. But that's always the way. It's always the way they do things. But it's just that time frame between announcing the increase and when the person actually gets the increase is it's quite a long way off, uh, certainly, that... The period of wait is getting longer all of the time. 1850-333-103. I wonder how many people watched the Late Late on uh, Friday night. And if you did, did you watch the Ryans? Well, Fiona Ryan and her partner, Jonathan Mathias, who were who are one of the families that have been the face of Lidl with these ads that Lidl have been running. The kind of I think it wasn't it Aldi were probably one of the first to run these ads where they featured a real life family and they showed the savings that could be made by moving their shopping from one the another supermarket and going either to Lidl or Aldi and you see how much the saving can be and then the, the Ryan family was what Fiona and Jonathan were described as and you saw them and how much saving with their 22, much, 22 month old son and how much they were making but unfortunately the Ryans who are a mixed race couple from County Meath they have now all because they decided to take part in the little ad have been forced to leave Ireland and that's after a death threat and abusive and racist comments online. They were on the late late on Friday night. They now say they won't be speaking publicly again. Why? Because they now feel the need to lay low. So I'm assuming after their appearance on Friday night there was probably more abuse uh, fired at them. It really is shocking. They say the underlying issues are bigger than us and they're calling on as many people as possible to sign an online petition which is demanding hate crime uh, legislation. They m- travelled to Britain at the end of September along with their 22 month old son and that was kind of, that was the day that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. They got a message via social media threatening to kill them and referring to Mr. Matthews, the dad and the little son using the N-word. My God, my God. And the threat came 
after their decision to speak publicly about the experience of online abuse following their participation in the ad. And it all kicked off at the start of September when one person tweeted about them and, you know, spoke about the the that little were gaslighting the Irish people with their multicultural version of the rhymes and just horrible, horrible, horrible text. And that then led to other people and, and other people and just racism in this country. It has just reached a new level when a young couple like this can feel that, you know, they were, they were doing their bit. They went to the Gardaí, by the way, they tried to make a complaint. They were kind of fobbed off by the Gardaí initially, though, I have to say, saying it was a civil matter. But then the European Network Against Racism in Ireland they said, no, you need to file a report uh, and they did. And then the Gardaí said, OK, they took it more seriously. And then all of that was going on. And Fiona Ryan, as the mum in the family, was trying to do her bit to get their side of the story out and to say what was happening. But the online abuse didn't stop. It, it just seemed to have got uh, worse and worse. And then finally, on the 28th of September, they received a death threat. And that was it. She said, I was so shaken. I broke down in tears. It was the last straw. And yes, we decided there and then we really needed to lay low to leave. We booked flights. We just thought, could they actually find us if they stayed, if we stayed where we were? So uh, they went back. They've gone to Britain and they flew back to do, they accepted the invitation for the late late, but they're saying that's it. They just want to, for once, they just want to get a final message out to everybody to, and to try to get the Irish people uh, to sign up to this online uh, petition and to try to get something done, to try to stop and to bring in hate crime legislation. That's the problem. We don't have strong enough hate crime legislation in this uh, country. But for Fiona Ryan, she says nothing has been done. We don't feel comfortable in a country where the, where the law does not protect families like uh, ours. They have, by the way, and I'm delighted to say, received huge support, particularly since they went on the late, late on Friday night. And I know the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, said the type of abuse suffered by the Ryan family is completely unacceptable in a modern, civilised society. He said he remains fully committed to ensuring that Ireland is a safe and a secure place for all and that appropriate tools are put in place to address racism and xenophobia in all of its forms. He's reviewing, as we speak, provisions for the Incitement to Hatred Act. See, the act that's in place at the moment is now 30 years old. It dates back to 1989 when we did not have Facebook. We didn't have online. We didn't have this trolling that uh, goes on. And he said that there's a public consultation will begin later this autumn. We need to get moving on, on that. So we'll keep a close eye on that. But uh, Alga said, Alga, one of her listeners, said she was shocked listening to the Rhines on the Late Late Show. What kind of a country do we live in? And I'm assuming, so I'd be interested to, uh, for others uh, who watched it, how did you feel about it? Would you be embarrassed that we live in a country where a young couple like like Fiona's 33, Johnson, her partner, is 32, 22-month-old son, and what's their fear for their little boy and what kind of a country is he going to grow up in if this kind of online racist hatred and abuse can be allowed to uh, continue? But it's just, uh, it saddens me. I think more than anything about this wonderful, beautiful country that we live in, that they feel forced to leave County Meath because they just feel unsafe in our own country. While you know, and probably when they were approached to do, I don't know if you get approached to do these ads or you you approach the supermarkets to say I'd like to take part or whatever. And you know, they're a young, good-looking couple and they look lovely on the TV and they're always happy and smiling. And there's a there's a second one, isn't there, that only went live a couple of weeks last week or the yeah the beginning of last week. I'm sure it went live. The second one, you know, where they're skipping out of the supermarket and they scoop up. You know, they've got an arm each 
lifting up their little lad as they're walking out of the shop and they probably took it on to make a bit of extra cash because you know obviously people get paid to do those ads and it was probably the reason that they did it better life for themselves better life for their little child but little did they know what was going to be opened up what vile vile people were going to come forward and target them all because they took part in a TV ad. Shocking. Shocking. 1850 Your thoughts and comments welcome to text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Home Instead Senior Care. They're looking for caregivers. That's for the Bandon area, Ovens, Farron and Ballancolic areas. Part-time bar person that's wanted for Aherla. While a childminder is required for the Dunmanway area, it's 30 hours of work per week. And an office person required for part-time work for a North Cork office. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, Clonakilty-based Social Democrat Evie Nevin says there needs to be a birthing centre in West Cork that would be aimed at mothers with low-risk pregnancies. Evie joins me to discuss this in more detail. Good morning, Jevy. Good morning. Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, I always feel for pregnant mums who have to make long journeys to the nearest maternity hospital, especially while in uh, labour. If people are living out on any of the peninsulas in Cork, God help them. Has there been a case that some have simply not made it and end up giving birth on the side of the road? Yeah, well, we've seen it in the news over the last, I think, last couple of years where there's been cases of women having to to give birth at the side of the road and they haven't made it up to the UMH. So it is something that uh, does happen and it's something that needs uh, addressing. And once upon a time, and older mums will remember this, you could give birth at Bantry General Hospital. So um, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming your plan or your thoughts would be that a birthing centre would be based in the Bantry area. It could either be um, a part of um, Bantry Hospital or it could be a freestanding birth centre as well. Um, there, there is just a need for, for something centrally in, in West Cork because, I mean, even somebody like in Clonakilty, for example, would have to travel um, just as far to Bantry Hospital as they would for CUMH as well. So um, it, it, there's something there that needs to be done to to uh, prevent women giving birth to the side of the road um, or having to go up um, early and be induced um, to prevent something like that from happening as well. And is, is that what's happening? Or rather than wait to go into labour and have to face this horrendous journey, are parents, are, are mums having um, their ba- their babies induced? It has happened before. I've heard stories from, from women are right where, they, where they've had to go into the hospital and they just say, look, will it induce you um, because you're living so far away and um, just to make sure you don't go into labour and you don't make it on time, especially because there are women who, you know, have a history of giving birth very, very quickly. Um, like myself, um, I did have a hospital birth, but my birth, um, I progressed very, very quickly. I went from two centimetres to ten centimetres within the space of forty minutes. Goodness so, me! Yeah, so um, you know these cases do happen, and um, you know there there are women as well who have had ha- hospital births, and their mental health has been affected pretty severely. I mean, I I was my first birth, um, I was induced as well, and, and there was kind of no need. 
Um, but um, yeah, I was I was very upset after it. Um, for about six months, you know, I was waking up in the night and having nightmares and everything. So, um, that's the problem with with um hospital based births at the moment in Ireland. It's very very over medicalized. We know that a a third of women end up having cesarean sections. A further third of women have, um, you know, inductions, and we've one of the highest rates of. Um, of intervention in Europe, um, and we're fairly high on, you know, world. Well, it, and is well. that because hospitals are under pressure? There's just so many women that need to be seen and dealt with that they're just yeah. under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Understaffing um, and just overcrowding has led to this, and it's almost like I said in in my, in my press release. It's, you know, my experience was I felt like I was almost on a conveyor belt, um, and if I I mean, there was talk of okay, if you don't start giving birth in the you know in the next hour or so, we're going to have to look at bring you down for cesarean, you know, or um, try and push things along further. And that, that was actually said to you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was induced at six. This was my last pregnancy, so I was induced at six o'clock um, in the evening, and then I mean, I'm talking about midnight now, and they were like, okay, if things don't start moving, we're going to have to bring you down for cesarean. Um, but was was no, no, But was that because the baby was in distress? You no. were in distress. No. So what did you say to that? I said absolutely not. Um, especially because I have a pre-existing condition, and any surgery is risky for me as well. Um, you know, and I would have to have a plastic surgeon come and close me up because of my condition as well. So it's not just a case of. Um, you know, getting whatever consultant is available to, to do the surgery, I would have to get someone special to come in to do surgery. And there was no need. And I knew myself, my own body from my previous birth, that I would, like, it takes a while for me to get to a point. But then once I hit that point, it Boom. flies by yeah, then again. Yeah. Well, wow. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm just thinking so much for when people talk about it, I had a natural birth. There was nothing natural about that. No, and I mean... It, Women's bodies are very, very capable and they know it it knows what it's doing. Um and unfortunately, I mean I mean, do you remember when Joe Duffy um, you know, covered something similar to this and there was you know, hundreds of women ringing it, in. It went on they, for weeks and he only yeah. scratched at the surface the amount of calls and letters and of people with their their own personal stories. And I suppose it's one of those things, Evie. We're so glad if we get out of the hospital when we when we get out of the hospital with a healthy baby, and you try put to put it behind you. It isn't something a lot of us as women talk about. No, it's it's almost like I mean I know from, again from my own experience and from my friends I've spoken to that if um, they say look it wasn't why what I wanted and I felt I was rushed and over medicalized and everything and people go oh sure look at the end of it yourself and the baby are fine yeah yeah but it's like. Childbirth is, a, you know, it's supposed to be this very normal uh, thing that is also supposed to be something that your family is supposed to be included in as well. And it's just, it isn't like that anymore. What about opting for home births in West Cork? Is that popular? Is it possible? It is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had asked for a home birth um, in my last pregnancy, but they had deemed me too high risk. Uh, in saying that, I spoke to a midwife in the UK who said, well, yeah, they would have said, OK, these are the risks. But at the end of the day, it would have been your decision. Um, and the last, prior to the Eighth Amendment as well, that was something that came, that was a factor in 
um, when it came to choosing home birth as well, that the ACE played a part in it as well, which people didn't really kind of realise that it did affect how and where women wanted to give birth. And talk to me about when, when, you, when you put forward the notion of a birthing centre, what, what, what do you mean, what do you envisage a birthing centre to be? So it would be midwifery-led care, um, and it's proven that midwifery-led care is uh, just as safe as consultant-led care. It would be a place where um, that it wouldn't be over-medicalised, and, and it's shown that um, if you go into a birthing centre and you give birth there, that um, you're more likely to go home within hours rather than in the in a few days. So, um, and then it would be a space then where you go in and have your checkups after you have your baby, you have breastfeeding classes, parenting classes, support groups, and everything. So, just kind of bringing that village mentality back uh, to pregnancy and childbirth because I don't think it's it's kind of there anymore. Yeah, and led by the midwife. And and I tell you, you talk to most pregnant pregnant women uh, when they were giving birth. Give me, and and I'd vouch for this as well. Give me a good midwife. Uh, over 10 consultants any day because they've done so many deliveries. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are the experts. They're the ones that generally look after the mothers um, while they're in labour. And we know from the domino scheme that it's been very, very successful. But again, that's only for um, women who are living near the city as well. So um, there definitely needs to be more options for rural areas um, and you know, it would provide a space as well um, where people can go and work and stay here in West Cork and, yeah, you know, yeah. not having to commute. Um, and you know, also, a job. also the, when I saw your suggestion, Evie, the first thing that sprang to mind was it will take pressure off CUMH. Because we, yeah. we, as a maternity hospital, it is hugely under pressure because you've got oh. women from all over the city and county all being funneled into this one maternity unit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was over 5,000 births um, from people in the county, never mind the city, but just in the county alone last year. So um, it would definitely take pressure off our, off our maternity hospitals, and especially when you have low-risk pregnancies, which the majority of pregnancies are. Um, there really is no reason to go into a, a, a traditional maternity hospital now, unless you want to do that and you don't feel safe without being in a hospital, and that's fine too. But at the end of the day, it is about choice and it needs to be made available. And you feel, you mentioned it would help out with breastfeeding numbers. I mean, current breastfeeding numbers are pretty dismal in this country. They are, they're desperate. I mean, we're talking about only 15% of um, babies are breastfed exclusively for the first six months. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really bad. But then again, that does come down to midwives being put under pressure and not being able to spend enough time with mothers to help them establish breastfeeding. Um, and we know from statistics that uh, you're more likely to breastfeed if you give birth at home or in a birthing centre. Mm. I was in Australia a couple of years ago and uh, my sister-in-law had just given birth to a, to a baby and uh, she was exclusively breastfeeding and everywhere we went, the facilities that were available and, and it, you know, it got me talking with other young mums that were over there and, and they looked at me with 10 heads to think that anybody wouldn't consider breastfeeding. I mean, it's, it's like, it's almost shunned. It's the opposite to what we have in this country. We need to get back to that, don't we? Absolutely. Um, but I mean, that comes down to government policy 
um, especially, you know, there's people with vested interest in the formula industry when you see that we provide 10% of the world's formula and that it's a big, it's big business here. So there isn't kind of an awful lot of push to um, rectify that situation. You know, the, the funding for breastfeeding is really, really low uh, in comparison. And yeah, it's the the whole birth, birthing centre situation could rectify a lot of issues that are happening in maternity care here in Ireland. Yeah, and talk to me just when you, when you mentioned on opting for, for home birth where you say it wasn't suitable for you. Do you know, have you heard of many mums in West Cork? Is, is it easy to set up and organise a home birth? Um, once, I mean, there's, there's doctors, um, there's a home birth section in CUMA. So you go okay. and you see the consultant and they'll give you the yes or the no. Um, and then it's up to you then to go and find a home birth midwife that is registered with the HSC. Um, and then uh, I believe a lot of the, the money comes from the mother's own pocket or the parent's own pocket. Um, so, it, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's doable, but it can be difficult and there's a lot of barriers. Um, but like I said, you know, the ACE has gone as well. It's a little bit, e- it'll be a little bit easier for mothers to, to make informed decisions and um, they'll have, you know, con- more consent when it comes to, to pregnancy, labour and childbirth. Okay, but since you've put out the suggestion of a birthing centre for West Cork, I'm, I'm assuming you're getting reaction from young mums and young mums-to-be, are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's something that um, I've discussed with people from all sorts of backgrounds saying, yeah, it would be great. I mean, Ames Ireland did um, a study where they said that um, it showed that over 90% said a birthing centre should be available and that almost 60% of people said they would prefer to give birth in a, in a midwifery-led unit over a traditional maternity hospital. Okay. All right, um, uh, Evie. Listen, uh, thank you for that and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay, thanks Good very morning much for having to me you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Clonakilty-based Social Democrat Evie Nevin with her suggestion and I, I think of, uh, there's, there's very few reasons why I can't think of any reason why uh, why we wouldn't go ahead with something like that. It certainly uh, would be a huge, huge plus for uh, families who are going to be giving birth in the West Cork area, the need for a birthing centre to be based probably in and around Bantry General Hospital would seem like the obvious uh, choice. 1850 reports in of a burst water main which is going to affect uh, water supply to Jemina, Charleville Road, Boulard Cross, Ardglass and surrounding areas until 5pm today. And there's also a burst water main which is affecting water supplies to the Mill Street Road area of McCroom. And again, it'll be until about 5 o'clock today in Irish Water. Co County Council apologise for any inconvenience caused and they're working on fixing both uh, both breast mains. There are now even more ways to listen to C103. Tune in on your radio, go online or grab our mobile app. And now you can ask your smart speaker to play C103. Play C103. Okay. So you can just follow me. Try it now. Try it now. C103. Now, last week, so many of us were moved by the impassioned speech by the Swedish teenager Greta Thunberg at the first ever UN Youth Climate Action Summit in New York. Alicia O'Sullivan from West Cork represented the young people of Ireland at the summit and she joins me. Good morning to you, Alicia. 
morning. And uh, you're, you're, you're very welcome. Now, I was truly moved by Gretchen's speech, but you were actually in the room when she delivered that speech. What was the atmosphere like and what was the reaction of those attending? Yeah, so Ireland was uh, about two rows in front of the stage where Greta spoke. Um, I guess it was a very emotional experience, especially for the young people who were in the room. Of course, the majority of world leaders um, there that day, including Donald Trump himself. But it was a very emotional experience, I think, for those who who can kind of uh, who can really relate to Greta and are on the same page as her in terms of the climate crisis we're in. You know. And what do you make of the of the criticism of uh, Greta? Some people are saying she's too young, she's uh, too vulnerable to be fronting this campaign. What, what do you make of that criticism? I think, I mean, I've been an activist for three years now, working with different organisations and outlets, and I think all of it is a bit too much, really. Like, the girl has parents, and um, she's very passionate about what she's talking about. And um, I think nobody really has the right to dictate uh, what her parents should be doing or what she shouldn't be doing it. It's her life at the end of the day, and if her parents are concerned, I'm sure they'll make their concerns uh, aware of. And I think it's nobody's place to really be dictating, especially to someone who's only doing good for the world. Yeah, and and I know whenever I see young Greta speak, she, I mean, there's nobody forcing this young girl. You can see and hear the passion in her words. Yeah, I mean, Greta is extremely passionate about um, the climate the climate change crisis that we're living in and so are all young people she's only grown all of us to, to I suppose grow that concern even more and bring it back into our own lives and our own countries and that's something that should be acknowledged and uh, looked upon as serious you know not something that should be mocked or called disturbed you know it's, if you look at the reality of what's happening we should all be disturbed because we've all done um, we've all created this crisis you know Okay, take me back. How did you get selected to attend the Climate Summit and, and represent the young people of Ireland? Yeah, so I suppose I've always been quite environmentally keen. Like when I was in primary school, I was heavily involved in green schools. And when I got into secondary school, I started a lot of activism, activism work with a few different organisations like Coral Nove and YMCA Ireland. And then I suppose when Greta started speaking up about the climate change, I attended the first global strike on March 15th and I got more and more, I started getting educated more and grew my consciousness towards my own, um, I suppose, environmental impact. And I just kept learning. I think that's the most important thing. And then the Marine Institute reached out and asked me to speak at the Ocean Wealth Summit back in June. Um, And I visited the Marine Institute as well and spoke to a lot of professionals up there. And then obviously at the Ocean Wealth Summit, there was uh, Antonishta, uh, former Secretary of State of the US, John Kerry, and there were 30 small island nations there as well. And then from that, um, they just came to me and asked me, would I be the part of the Irish delegation, the youth representative going to the UN for the first climate summit? Well done, you. And do you, so, do you ever you. get uh, intimidated or nervous when, when you're addressing people like that? Oh, if you're not nervous, you don't care. <laughs> um, you definitely have to have a bit of nerves, but I think it's just like Greta or anyone if you care enough about it then you know that's your time and that's your space to say how you feel and it's important to deliver as well and you met with the teacher Leo Varadkar while you were in New York you had a message for him yeah I mean I guess my message and my message that I'm going to continue to work on here in Ireland with the government and with 
UNICEF now and RT as well and their youth assembly is that youth engagement is going to be key in this. We need to, we we do need to have that sit down with our leaders and really uh, lash out what we're going to do here. Like it is an emergency we're living in, and, and that's the truth of it. And we're going if we're going to implement this climate action plan, young people, the people who sparked this movement, need to be at that table. And I think. I think we're starting to acknowledge that and understand that here and I'm hoping in the next few months I'll continue to work on it um, with everyone involved and that it'll progress further and hopefully have a good result at the end. And whenever we discuss that climate action plan, at least here, we'll often hear the argument, Usher, we're here in Ireland, we're only a small country. It's all the larger countries like the Chinas, the India, America. They're the ones that need to be making uh, the changes. So we're too small to do anything. What, what do you say to that argument? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. I, I think Europe is only 9% actually of all carbon emissions in the world. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a true fact, right? But leadership we need leadership in this and that's what's going to get us to not um go over 1.5 degrees celsius we need people to lead by example and take it on board and that's how countries that's how countries always develop they develop from each other's ideas and what their neighbor is doing and hopefully i i'm you know i'm i'm hoping that ireland will take that on board and get ahead of the curve now and uh, i'm going to continue to push for that in every regard and and if we sit back and do nothing and people don't listen to people like you and, and Greta uh, and other environmentalists. Are, are you worried about your future and, and please God, if you have children, your children's future? I am. Like, I'm extremely worried and I think everyone who, like I said before, who realises the seriousness is worried because we're looking at, and it's not even the future anymore. I mean, the Marshall Islands are two metres above sea level. In the next ten years, they are they don't exist. Like, there's people who are losing their human rights from this. It's, it's genocide. Like, we're, we're not even realising um, the impact that what we're doing is having on other people. And it's actually the people who are doing the least are being affected the most, which is the sad reality of it. And you're, you're still in school. You're doing your Leaving Cert. Are you in Leaving Cert here? Yeah, I'm yeah. in my Leaving Cert. Uh, what's the plan for the future? I mean, do you hope to go to college? What do you hope to study? Yeah, so my hope next year is to study law. Um, and then I'm thinking about maybe going into politics. When ah, I'm yeah, <laughs> I think you're going to make a fine politician. Uh, listen, I I, hope so. thanks a million for taking time out to, to talk to us from, from your school day. We appreciate uh, that. And continue good luck. You're, you're doing remarkable uh, work and you're just showing such strong leadership. We can all be very proud of you uh, here in Cork. Thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks very much. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is the lovely Alicia O'Sullivan, uh, youth activist, joining us from Skibbereen. Uh, from uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, young person, and we have so many young people, and they are our future. They are the ones, of course, we need to protect this planet for them and for their children. But it's it's great to see them so active and so passionate in what they believe in. But of course, the person that they all look to, we mentioned during the interview there with Alicia, which is uh, Greta uh, Thunberg, who is the young Swedish teenager. She came in for a lot of stick, and I thought unnecessary because. Uh, it's, she's she's battling her own demons as well as, as Greta Thunberg but she's doing amazingly well in getting her message across and what she believes needs to be done about the planet and I mentioned when I was speaking with Alicia there that uh, I was moved to tears by some of uh, Greta's speech so just this is just a little piece of what Greta Thunberg had to say at that first ever UN Youth Climate Action Summit which was held in the UN 
This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Oh, great passion. That is a young uh, Greta Thunberg. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I mentioned earlier when I was chatting to uh, Simon on The Breakfast Show that yesterday I went along in the afternoon to see Downton Abbey at the cinema because I missed, I was, the night it opened, I was actually going on holidays for two weeks so I didn't get a chance to see it while I was, while I was away and then tried to find time to go to see a long movie because it's, we must have been in the cinema for nearly three hours, even though this whole movie wasn't three hours but certainly a, a two hour plus uh, movie. But I went along and I loved it but then I'm a fan of Downton Abbey. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. I absolutely enjoyed it. If you're not a fan of Jonathan Abbey and those period dramas, then you may not uh, like it. But that prompted Mike and Jermina to say, Patricia, I went to see The Joker last night. This is getting a lot of publicity, this new movie. Uh, Mike says, I couldn't get over how violent and depressing it was compared to watching Keith Ledger in Batman. Let's just say I won't be bringing children along to see it, says Mike in Jermina. So I suppose a good word of warning. It like I can tell you now it's exactly it's you know it's described as a drama thriller it's exactly the type of movie I wouldn't be going to see it wouldn't appeal to me on any level but I didn't realise that there was that it was as violent as Mike is saying I, I wasn't expecting that I'm just trying to see is there are ratings um, on it I don't know whether our own Mark Malone will be reviewing it or not I'm assuming if it's that violent then it's over 16s is it it's 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 certainly even though the name the Joker you would think it's is this is this for for children and I know any of the images you know that come out advertising it it's like it's the Joker but kind of a menacing looking clown is how he's painted it's it's quite scary looking indeed but thank you for that Mike word of warning to anybody who is planning on going along to see it it is quite violent and Mike says depressing kind of a storyline to it as well thank you for that Mike on the budget still getting in calls oh but before I get to calls and comments on the budget I I I've never binged watched anything because I don't have Netflix and I, and I hear a friend of mine who talk about oh I spent the whole weekend binge watching something A I don't have Netflix and B I wouldn't have the time to spend the whole weekend binge watching something but something I did kind of binge watch was a programme that became available to us through Sky and that was Catherine the Great I think it started on Sky last night but from a couple of days ago you could download four episodes it's four hour long episodes and watch them back to back and it's the first time now I did watch them back to back we watched two and two episodes on Saturday or two and a half episodes on Saturday and and one and a half last night if you're into funny when I'm mentioning period dramas with Downton Abbey if you're into those kind of period dramas this one on Catherine the Great is stunning I mean it's the way it's filmed the colour in it the costume in it Helen Mirren 
plays the lead role of Catherine the Great. Need I say more? That woman is just incredible. Has she ever done anything on screen that wasn't good? She just gives it her all. And Catherine the Great is one of those people from history. You know, you know, Russia. She ruled Russia. And I did, to be honest, I didn't know that much. I knew bits about her that I'd, I'd remembered from school days, but I didn't know that lot, that much about her. So I learned a lot about her to the point of whenever I watch movies like that, I know to, I'll get a chance during the week to hit Google and start finding out more about Catherine the Great. But it's four episodes long. You may have started watching it last night if you have stick with it because it's well, well worth watching. As I say, you can download it if you have Sky and uh, if you have four hours to yourself what luxury said she sit down and uh, enjoy it okay some of your comments coming in about the budget and this is we're, we're speculating we're, we're looking at the newspapers seeing what the newspapers are saying and there's a kind of a general consensus around a lot of things the good the bad and the ugly and it's going to be kind of one of those budgets that nobody I think is going to gain an awful lot from it. No one group is going to walk away patting themselves on the back saying hey didn't we do well but likewise I don't think no one group is going to be attacked either. If you can call it attacked nobody's going to lose out. Everyone's going to be I, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to be pretty much the same to where we are now as is is where we'll be at the end of the budget speech tomorrow are there abouts so, uh, with the, but the big one that people are homing in on is the fact that it has been rumoured that old age pensioners for the first time in three years are going to be overlooked for a five euro a week increase that they normally that they've been getting for the last three budgets but they're not expected to get it in this uh, budget Texter says and I was making the point that this is possibly all to do with Brexit it's going to be quite a conservative budget they're not going to overspend because we don't know what's coming down the tracks with Brexit Listener said why in God's name to social welfare recipients and especially the old age pensioners why do they have to suffer all because of Brexit no one in this country should ever have to suffer because of Brexit we the people of this country didn't ask the Brits to leave the EU yet why are we here now in a situation where it looks like we are going to suffer it is just not fair according to a texter I don't have a name on that but that's a texter who certainly is not happy about the fact that we could have a very conservative budget and we will have it because of Brexit as I say I do think Brexit is going to be mentioned a couple of times tomorrow when the Minister gets to his feet to deliver the speech. And Mary in Mitchellstown says, I, is it true that old age pensioners are not going to get anything this morning? I'm not hearing anything by way of an increase. If everybody else gets a rise and we don't, as OAPs, I'll never vote for Fianna Gael again. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that they would give, say, a five euro increase to all social welfare recipients and then say, oh, but by the way, this year we're leaving out old age pensioners. I'm assuming when we're hearing that old age pensioners are not going to get for the first time in three years, they're they're not going to, they're going to be overlooked and left out this year. I'm assuming that's going to be collectively all social welfare recipients because if you think back for the last number of years, all the last three budgets, old age pensioners and all of the different social welfare recipients got five euro extra a week. But go back in the time when money was being taken away from social welfare recipients, they didn't take it away from old age pensioners. Uh, or they only took it away from all of the other uh, payments. So there isn't a hope in hell that every other social welfare 
recipient will get an increase and the old age pensioners won't. Mary, it'll be across the board. Nobody will be getting an increase. But if you're living alone, it, it's looking like there will be an increase in the living alone allowance. And it also looks like the fuel allowance is going to go up by a small amount uh, as well. And John in Butterfield says the, this government were able to pay out millions of euro to pay for Donald Trump's visit. They also have money from the Apple company sitting in an escrow account that's actually, did I hear somewhere, I think it was when I was away on holidays, did I hear it, or did I just glance over it, that it's actually, that money is losing money because it's a negative interest, which baffles me that you can put money on deposit and can actually lose money. But that the, the money from Apple, while we decide where the money goes, it's, it's sitting in this escrow account. But I'm sure it's actually losing money. Anyway, John reckons that money is sitting there. We should be spending that uh, money. We can all see where money should be spent when it comes to dishing out money for uh, a, bud- a budget, but it certainly is not going to needy people. Uh, we need to start spending more money. Also coming in, thank you, they were calls to 1850-333-103 and some texts and WhatsApps coming in to us. This is tied in with the budget in in sorts, it's to do with one of the items that's expected to be included in the budget tomorrow because it's a budget that is going to be aimed at families rather than older people. And one of the things is to do with uh, child care and is to do with free GP care for children under eight. That's going to be extended from September of next year with free dental care to under six. Anyway, a texter is picking up on the free GP. So, Cy Patricia, just to say, is there anybody else out there that feels giving free doctor's visits to up to six-year-olds is okay? Or like me, do they feel it's too much? The cut-off age should be free GP care up to the age of three. And now to hear that by 2020, the free GP care will raise to the age of eight. I used to wonder why it was difficult to get a doctor's appointment. But believe me, now I know why. They should get rid of Minister Catherine Sapone. She'll break this country, says this texter. Free this, free that. Time off for parents. She'll render all parents useless. All the parents... No. If there's any parents listening, you might get offended by this comment. This texter says, all the parents are doing is sitting at home looking at each other. Who is paying for this crack? And they say there's no money for anything. And that's somebody obviously who's giving out about the paid paternity leave. And that's to increase as well. Or it's expected that paid paternity leave is to increase as well. Anyway, this the uh, funding for two weeks parental leave from November of next year I'm assuming that's going to kick in anyway that's something else that's been spoken about in the budget but listener is not happy with parents getting extra time off but the the original point is to do with the free GP care for children under six at the moment and it looks like it's going to raise to under eight year olds is that going to put more pressure on doctors practice absolutely it will and the knock-on effect is for everyone Uh, and I don't know how many people are struggling with this issue have you rang your doctors for an appointment you wake up sick one morning and of course we can never predict when we're going to be sick it's different if it's something you know that you maybe you're somebody that has to get bloods done you know every year every you know 
twice a year, whatever it is. So you know that that's coming up. So you make the appointment. So if you ring on a Monday and they can't fit you in until Wednesday or Thursday, that's fine. You're just going for your standard checkup and to get your bloods done or your blood pressure checked or whatever it is. But when you wake up on a Monday morning and you've gone to bed fine and you wake up on Monday and you're feeling absolutely dreadful and then you ring the, you ring the doctor, are many people having problems getting appointments? Anecdotally, we would hear from people very much summing up what that listener is saying, that it's because of the amount of mums and dads who are turning up with young children to the GP practice and they're going because it's free. Sure, if it's free, we might as well go. You know, a child would wake up a bit sniffly, whatever. If you have to pay 60 euro to go check out those sniffles, you might think twice about going. But if it's free, ah, sure, I'll bring Johnny along. Why not? It's not going to cost me anything. I'm sure I'll double check that the sniffles are just sniffles. And, you know, it's spoon of Calpol will do him. I'm not saying all parents do that, but there is that anecdotal evidence that parents with young children, because the GP is free, more are going. And what we would have to do is you'd have to ask parents themselves, do they find that they're going to the doctor more because it's free and as soon as they lose the free GP card are they then not bringing their Johnny or their Mary as much as they did when they did have the free GP but the knock on is that everybody else is getting affected and people are having difficulty accessing a GP and this has been an issue that's been going on certainly across the water in the United Kingdom for quite some time I and mean, when we would have heard from families and people that came back from England in particular and came back to live here talking about ringing a GP and just you could not get an appointment you could be days waiting uh, for an appointment and we sort of said shook our heads and said well that'll never happen in this country we've got wonderful GP practices and we've loads of GPs and of course we don't and we have an ageing we talk about an ageing population you look at the number of GPs that are getting older many of those are due, due for retirement so if we've less GPs offering the service the wait time for you to get an appointment is going to be pushed out. It's going to get longer and longer. And are people right to be blaming the fact that children under the age of six, rising to under the age of eight, are entitled to free GP? Are they blocking up the GP practices? Your thoughts and comments welcomed on that, please. 1850-333-103. And let me stay on the subject of raising children because the listener, again, there's no name on this uh, text, but a listener was listening to Minister Jim Daly who was talking to me earlier this morning Now we were talking about home care packages but I just tied in at the end that in the last couple of weeks Jim Daly admitted that he is stepping down from politics he is not going to go for re-election whenever the next general election is and he's doing it for his family's sake I think he's got four four or five young boys 16 the eldest down along and kind of steps and stairs and he's missed out on so much of the children growing up you know, dropping them to school, going on to the school play, bringing them to the GAA match, bringing them along to the soccer match. Hasn't been able to do any of that and particularly when he took over then as junior minister. I mean, his big problem as well is it's a geographical one. He lives in Clonakilty and Dáil Éireann and that big commute to and from Dáil Éireann and, and home adds to the problem and indeed it adds to the problem for all of the TDs in West Cork and all the ones back over the years have always had that problem but he's just decided enough's enough I want to spend time with my family so at the end of my interview today with Jim I just asked him about that because I had been on holidays when the news actually broke and it was John Paul who had done the initial interview with him where 
he made the announcement that he wouldn't be running. So just out of interest, I wanted to ask him kind of reaction that he was getting because, you know, I'm assuming a lot of other TDs will have gone to him and not even TDs, but people who are not quite dedicated completely they're not dedicated is probably the wrong word but people who are so committed to their job that their job almost takes over their life they're so passionate about what they do and their work life trying to get that work life balance right can be a real real tricky one so I'm assuming like lots different walks of life will identify with Jim Daly and what Jim Daly decided to do so he was chatting away about it and talking about the things that he'd hoped to do because I was one thinking from a career point of view he, he's not in a position that he can retire and do nothing. He's too young for that. He needs to find a job and he has to put food on the table. Anyway, so a texter says, I was listening away to Jim Daly talking about uh, his family and how he wants to be able to rear his family and be there for his uh, family. And when you asked him what will happen afterwards, you know, career-wise, what will he do? He said he'd probably take a few months off and do the normal things. And one of the normal things he said was like the school run. But then says he. He'll probably get bored with doing that. This is where this texter is taking, listeners taking umbrage with that. Children take 20 years plus to rear. Not a few months of a school run. He's only fooling himself if he thinks he'll get bored after a few months. Uh, I'd love... I'd love the school run. I loved the school run. Sorry, this was somebody who did the school runs regularly. I loved the school runs because I truly think it is quality time on a one-to-one basis as they hop into the car and you hear all of their stories, etc. for the day. Who then will take over this boring task when he decides he's had uh, enough? Uh, but then who am I to even suggest this? No, no, you're, you're right to have your you're right to have your opinion. But I, I, it's funny, I didn't pick it up like that. I picked it up. He's not the type of man to sit at home and do nothing. I think that's the point that he was trying to get get across. I think he would love if he would be financially in a position that he'd be able to sit around and do nothing all day. But he's just not that that type of man. That was my interpretation. But you're quite entitled to yours as well. And also as a tie-on to the end on, on home help, please ask, says the same texter, those who train the people to become home house. Why don't they teach them to put in hearing aids? Surely communication is of vital importance and I wasn't aware of that. So I'm assuming from that that people who act, who work as home helps, home providers of, of home care, that they are not able to put in hearing aids and is it that they're not trained? Are there, is it down to training? Surely, you know, putting in do you need to have a lot of training for hearing aids? I'm thinking when Marsha, our own little one at one stage, went through wearing uh, hearing aids. I don't think I was exactly trained in how to put them in. I was in with the hearing specialist and the moulds were made and we went back and got them fitted. And then we did a few. I was just shown how to pop them in because most people can put in the hearing aids themselves. I mean, obviously, especially this child can't. And I'm assuming some older people might struggle with it. I don't know how much training you need to get. But anyway, I, do, I take it from that text that home helps are not allowed to put in, is it? Not a, so many rules and regulations and I's must be dotted and T's must be crossed and you're not allowed to do that. And God, no, they can't do that. No, we get into all kinds of trouble. So it could be something to do with that as well. It's not the that the home help doesn't want to put them in. Maybe they're not allowed to do it. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. 
supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cork ETB. They are currently recruiting volunteers to train as adult literacy tutors. It's a six-week training pro- programme and it commences between seven and half past nine in the Q Centre Quartertown in Mallow. For more information, give Marion a call 022 42322. Enrolment and an open evening for first-year pupils will take place at Bohapui Comprehensive School and that is on tonight, kicking off at 7.15. And an open meeting will take place in the Temperance Hall in Canturk between half past eight and half past nine tomorrow night, Tuesday, with a view to setting up a group, Friends of Canturk Community Hospital Campus. Anybody interested in becoming more involved in the development of the hospital and the campus over the coming years? Very welcome to attend this meeting tomorrow night. And bingo is also on in Shambhali Moor. That is tomorrow night, Tuesday. And I've just uh, realised that the Vohabri enrolment evening, that's also tomorrow at Tuesday. And the National Council for the Blinds, they're holding a coffee morning at their premises on Broad Street in Charlevoix next Thursday. It'll be on from 10am in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. And Foley Shop in Ballyagran are holding their annual Pink Ribbon event next Saturday. Music on the night by Stephen Corkery. Auction and raffle and all proceeds going to breast cancer research. And some of your calls and comments coming in uh, to the uh, programme. Nancy in Bantry, uh, this is using Brexit for a not to have a giveaway budget, Nancy says, is just an excuse. It's like saying, I won't go out today in case I fall in the street. They're using Brexit as an excuse not to pay out the carbon tax. Will that make a difference? Brexit is used to withhold payment. I haven't proofread all of these, so bear with me on this. A column in Botswana said I read some months ago back where one of the ministers was on about old age pensioners and that they should not be given any increase. It should be redistributed amongst other schemes. There was a report of it on the paper but nobody took, I don't know who the minister was, but her is the, is it Catherine Sapone, I wonder? Nobody took her up on it, uh, says Colm. I don't know what, I'd have to go back and see if I could find that. Uh, it would be an interesting piece to see if it was floated many months ago of them saying we're not going to give anything to old age pensioners. OK, some of your texts. I am sick, says this texter of hearing about Brexit and the need to curb payments because of Brexit while the government voted to restore their own salaries and a recent pay increase. Brexit didn't come into it then, did it? What about restoring pensions to those affected by the 520 credits without a lead-in period while not taking into account time for caring for children and parents unpaid as opposed to those being classed as a carer even at a nominal payment before the 90s? There was changes but unfortunately not everyone not everyone is getting that full state pension that still is a bugbear for so many people no rise in the budget for old age pensioners says a texter yet the coal and the baguettes and the oil and the pension will all go up it's simply not fair yet the TDs recently gave themselves a rise and no doubt their expenses increased like likewise can't wait for somebody to call to my door looking for a vote Julie says what about the massive increase the government gave itself not so long ago I can't wait for a general election and Anne says if the old age pensioners do not get a rise tomorrow I'm telling you now I won't be voting ever again for Fine Gael and Anthony makes an interesting point this is with regard to Brexit why can't the budget be held back 
until after Brexit is sorted. This Brexit talk is a great excuse to give little or nothing in the budget. I doubt they will ignore the pensioners, though, as an election is looming, says Anthony. I, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'll be very, very surprised if I arrive back in here on Wednesday morning to say, gee, knock me over with a feather, the pensioners are getting nothing. Maybe what they'll do, because they're saying they won't give the five, maybe they'll give a lower amount, maybe two euro a week, three euro a week. Could they do it that way? Whereas them, old age pensioners will go, oh God, that's better than getting nothing. We thought we were getting nothing. At least we're getting two or three euro. They might be putting it out as a kite flyer. Only time will tell. On doctors, uh, Texter says, this is, can you get into the doctor to get an appointment with the number of children who are entitled to free GP cars? Listen to this. I had a kidney infection. It took five days before I got an appointment. Love your programme. Oh, can I say my heart goes out to you because I am a martyr. Oh, I haven't, even though touch wood, I haven't had one in a few years, but I'm a martyr for kidney infections. And God knows if you get a kidney infection, you know that when you get a kidney infection, there is not a lot you can do about it. You need to get in and get the antibiotic as quickly as possible. And the pain of it is dreadful. So my heart goes out to you. Mary said, we had somebody on holidays over from the United Kingdom who needed medical attention. We brought her to our local doctor who said they could not look at her. So then I knew another doctor in a nearby town who does not have appointments and they were able to slot her in. It shows there can be a waiting list or doctors won't see you if you're not already registered uh, with them. Well, yeah, uh, some of the doctor's practices are simply closed. There's signs of saying we're not taking on any more patients. So I'm assuming that's the reason for that. But could also when you say that the first doctor's practice, maybe they just no appointments that day. That's what people are ringing in about. There are simply no appointments uh, available. Congratulations to Moynabi ladies on their great win on Saturday in the county final, says a texter. No name on that. And just one final text. This is reacting to the piece I mentioned about the Rhines, this couple in the mixed race county meath couple who are featured in the little ad. Mum is Fiona Ryan. Her fiancé is Jonathan Mathis. They're 30, 33 and a 32 year old and their little boy is 22 months and they have left this country because of the racial abuse and the threatening comments they've received on social media, including threatening to kill them. And when the death threat arrived, they decided enough was enough. Uh, Dennis uh, says, to the people that put out those nasty comments about the Rhines, they should be jailed. They are pathetic juvenile losers with nothing better to do. And they need a combination of re-education and they just need to simply get a life, kind regards, says Dennis. How right you are. And it's one of the reasons that the Rhines decided to appear on The Late Late. Uh, that's kind of their last hoo-ha that they're doing because they want people to get involved. There is an online petition to try to uh, demanding hate crime legislation and the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, agrees and, and has said that type of abuse suffered by the Ryan family is completely unacceptable and he's doing his best reviewing provisions of the Incitement to Hatred Act 1989, which is now 30 years old. So it obviously isn't covered, Dennis. I'd love to lock them up and throw the key away as well. And I tell you another thing that annoyed me about the the case with the Rhines when they first got when these nasty it was tweets I think in the main I don't know if it then for other social media platforms but I know certainly I was watching them on uh, Twitter and they were horrible horrible nasty nasty texts and tweets um, they went to on Garda Shikona they were it never happened to them be, before and they've expressed their frustration there was an initial reluctance 
I'm assuming their local guard at the station to take a statement from Fiona Ryan when she wanted to report the initial text which started it all and the abusive comments that followed suit. And she was initially on, oh sorry, nothing to do with us, you know, nothing to see here, this is a civil matter, move on. So she felt she couldn't go any further. It was only then she got advice from the European Network Against Racism in Ireland. They filed a report and and have had a meeting with an investigating officer. But it took the European Network Against Racism, ENAR, this group ENAR, who are doing this online, this online petition to try to end hate crime. It took them for the Gardaí to get involved. I mean, these are abusive, nasty texts and something should be done straight away. So the sooner the legislation is brought up to date, the better. 1850 333 John Paul takes your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862 103 And we are getting nutritional advice next with Jennifer O'Callaghan. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic and... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now our nutrition therapist Annalise Drussell taking a break today. So joining me instead is Jan O'Callaghan who is a nutrition therapist and a health and wellness coach. Good afternoon to you Jen. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and today we're going to discuss the topic of stress and anxiety. We all seem to be living much more stressful lives and certainly the word anxiety and people suffering from anxiety. Definitely. We are hearing a lot more, aren't we, about that? Oh, 100%. And I suppose, uh, just like yourself, the more and more you meet with people and talk with people, you're hearing a lot more people that they're stressed they're overwhelmed um, and as you say that kind of overwhelm and leading in then to anxiety and just that total sense of, of overwhelm. 
And why, you know? what, what are the symptoms? So a lot of the, the symptoms, like when we look at it, um, kind of as a nutritional therapist, we kind of look at all aspects of, um, you know, of the person and look at the whole picture. So you're looking at what the stresses are for people, you know, sleep patterns, their eating patterns, exercise and kind of and self-care practices as well for, for the body. Um, as stress is going to affect, you know, a lot of different things. I see people coming to me for weight loss. Um, and, you know, or maybe balancing hormones or their mood. And this can all be affected definitely by by stress, you know. And someone might come to me with the physical symptoms of something like IBS, the irritable bowel syndrome, which we definitely know can be made worse in times of stress, um, the urgency to go to the toilet, um, people coming in maybe with headaches, and they, they're originating maybe from, from tension and holding that stress in their body, people not being able to sleep. So poor sleep patterns can switch off their mind, the racing brain, um, and not being able to switch off kind of in the, the evening time. Um, and I suppose I see it a lot of the time as well with maybe people with a poor immune system, so they're getting sick a lot. So there's a lot of colds and flus, their own good immune system is not functioning optimally because the digestive system is affected as well. So it can all have a knock-on effect. And you would link all of that to stress? A lot of it, um, I have to say, Patricia, when I'm sitting down with people and kind of going through the signs and symptoms, now obviously, you know, we get colds or we can get a headache or, you know, anything like that. But if it's kind of reoccurring, so if it's something that's always kind of coming up for you, that um, the reoccurring headaches or the, the bad sleep that, you know, you're not getting on top of or you're, or you're always getting kind of the, the sicknesses, picking up the bugs, um, these can all be kind of things that are definitely um, being aggravated by, by, it's a constant stress. It's, you know, we kind of deal with stress on a daily basis. It's something that we have in, in life and sometimes stress, we give it a bad press, but, you know, we need stress, the good stress to yeah. kind of perform and... Um, it's to get the balance fine. as to what exactly. is what is the good stress. And when you're talking with some of your clients, Jen, you know, and obviously you're seeing the alarm bells that are stressed. Would they be surprised to hear when you say you have a lot of stress in your life? I suppose a lot of them, you'll see them smiling when you start to say it. Yeah. Because they they definitely know it themselves um, 100%. And even myself, Patricia, I suppose in the last year, year and a half, um, I suffered a bit more with kind of uh, anxiety, which I never had before in my life and I never realized that the actual impact that it has on people or that it can have kind of on your on your life and for me again long story short was basically a lot of stress and then I got ended up getting a bit of a reaction to nuts when I was eating out one day um, and I now end up uh, having an EpiPen so obviously I was anxious eating out um, and at the beginning going out so I started to get all these feelings that I never had before so it was something I had to start on a journey of trying to get on top of and developing skills on how do I sort this out um, so because I want to get my life back and eat out and go back out um, living you know living your normal life as such and not be hindered by it So you were I'm assuming you were getting panic attacks at the thought of in case this happens again mm. Exactly Wow exactly. Yeah. And, and how are you doing now? All good, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that, it's it's definitely been a journey, but it is for sure 
bringing in the the skills and you know with people who are kind of have a lot of stress and anxiety you'd always say check in with your doctor as well first um, or a counsellor or I did a bit of uh, hypnotherapy with a counsellor which I found very beneficial as well um, as part of my, my journey but what you need to do is try and break the cycle you need to break the cycle of the stress and the anxiety so that you can kind of feel safe again um, and, you know, start bringing in kind of a breath work to just slow things down um, and, and get a little bit of control back on your own body. Huge amount of young people suffering with anxiety, Jen, isn't there? There is. There yeah. is, you know, and I suppose there's so much like that stress with social media stress. There's exams. I think people now have a higher expectation of themselves more more than anything. Um, and I do get a, a lot of clients, a lot of teenagers ending up coming in kind of around the, the stress. And it's, it's supporting your body in a number of different ways. You know, okay, to, to, so, so let, let's look at the food side. And, and I'm assuming there's probably supplements as well that could help. There is, yeah. And, you know, it is about looking at nourishing your body. So a lot of the time when we're in a state of stress or fight or flight, we want things to, you know, comfort us. So we go for kind of the wrong things. We want chocolate or, um, you know, fizzy drinks or crisps or so, anything like that just to comfort. So if you could start even thinking of just nourishing yourself with good, healthy foods, even this time of year, it's like stews and casseroles and curries and taking out the slow cooker. So you're getting plenty of vegetables, good quality protein, um, good quality carbs uh, in the in the body as well. And, you know, even preparing yourself in the day to get good, good protein in with every meal and every snack. So bringing snacks maybe with you um, to work, uh, natural yogurts and berries or hummus and that kind of thing to just balance the, the blood sugars for yourself during the day. And then looking at uh, supplements, like vitamin C, you know, the more cortisol that we make and that stress, we use up a lot of our vitamin C. So that's one definitely to get more in. B vitamins, so we use that up a lot when our adrenals are overstimulated. So getting in sometimes a good um, B complex is a, is a good idea. Magnesium, I'm always talking about magnesium. It's a great one to help us relax. It helps us with sleep. It helps us with energy. Um, and it relaxes the muscles and that as well. So um, that's another really good one. Herbs-wise, rhodiola is a really good one around stress, um, stress of exams, um, L-theanine. I usually recommend a supplement, and it's called Balance Your Nerves. And I get very good feedback uh, from my clients on that one, but it has L-theanine in it, which kind of is the racing brain, the racing thought. So it's a, it's a really good one to, to get in there with as well. Okay, and then practices and habits. I mean, I'm assuming things like yoga? Definitely. So what you want to do, I suppose, is calm the nervous system um, and things that will help calm the nervous system. And I'm all talking about this self-care. So making it a daily practice and not making it a luxury, but making it a priority so that you're bringing in some element of self-care every day. And yoga is fantastic. And, you know, in yoga, you're doing the breath work. So even in your day, even if you don't have time for a class, it's slowing things down and just taking a few deep breaths. And a simple breathing technique can be just breathing in for the count of four, holding and then breathing out for the count of four again. Because, again, 
if you're getting a panic attack or in anxiety, what you need to do is try and slow things down so that you can get reason again in your brain and to say it's okay, you know, there's no need to panic or to run um, in, in what you're doing. So also I think, Patricia, you know, we take on a lot. Uh, I think people are overwhelmed. So sometimes it's a matter of saying no, you know, saying no to somebody. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no or it's okay to say not now. Um, I can't do it right now. Uh, you know, know your limits, I suppose, as a person and, and ask for help, definitely, kind of when you when you need it. But I suppose in the last year, I found meditation really good, definitely, as a daily practice, uh, bringing in meditation. And there's a Headspace app or Cam's app, so there's plenty out there to, to help people to check in with, um, to help them on that. And we actually run, in the Essential Wellness Centre in Ballancolleg, a free meditation on a Monday morning at 7.30 for anybody who'd like to like to come along. And get um, you start, and great way to start the day. Great way to start the day, for sure. Okay. You know, and you, have getting, what, you also have some workshops coming up. I do have some workshops coming up. So um, we're starting tomorrow night uh, in Ballancolleg and I'll be starting with the, the gut health, which... I suppose we know affects the, the brain and the mood and our immune system and all that as well. So I have a number of nights going on. You can just book in of a Tuesday night. There'll be thyroid health, sports nutrition, stress and anxiety, children's nutrition and healthy food demos and all that as well. OK, listen, good luck with that. Pleasure as always to talk to you, uh, Jen. And how can people contact you? So you can get me on uh, my website, www.everydaynfw.com or you get all my details on there. Okay. All right, Jen, thanks for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Jennifer O'Callaghan, nutritional therapist and uh, health wellness coach, everydaynfw.ie for more. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Get weekly news, event updates and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered To listen, go to c103.ie and click regional reports or download the C103 app and click podcasts Regional reports, only on C103 This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.